If you look around, you'll see the world can be pretty smart. Okay, very smart. At Capella University, we think education should be smart too. That's why we're reshaping online learning with our FlexPath format. You can set your own deadlines, take classes at your own pace, even leverage your previous experience to move faster. So when it comes to earning your bachelor's degree, you know what kind of choice to make. A smart one. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter. We're grateful to have our friends at Sleep Number sponsoring the Thrive Global podcast. Discover the Sleep Number bed that adjusts on each side. It's perfect both for you and your partner. With their Sleep IQ technology at your fingertips, you'll know just what to adjust to get your best sleep. Does your bed do that? Check them out at sleepnumber.com slash thrive. Welcome to the Thrive Global Podcast. Today, we have a powerhouse of a guest. Though he hardly needs an introduction, in case you've just woken up from a 20-year coma, Mark Cuban is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, Landmark Pictures, Magnolia Pictures. He's chairman of AXTV. And of course, he's a shark on Shark Tank, currently in its eighth season and the first shark we've ever had on the podcast. (laughs) Now, Mark, people think of sharks as being scary and mean, which you're definitely not. Oh, come on now. (laughs) What a way to start me off and ruin my rep. But the way you do... Everything seems to be a little bit like um, a shark in that you never stop moving and that you pride yourself at getting this done. Mm -hmm. So what does it take to get this done? It sounds better with a Greek accent, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're right. I could probably get away with it more, saying it more if I had that accent. Um, It means to be prepared. You know, it means to have done your homework. It means to be knowledgeable so that when you walk into a situation, you feel confident that you can get this shit done. You know, um, it's when you just wing it, when you aren't prepared, when, when you're uncertain, that's where when, when things grind to a halt. And so, I mean, you know, there's lots of sayings about being prepared, but literally I think I try to be the most knowledgeable person in the room when I walk into a room when it comes to my business, when it comes to my industry, when it comes to the deal I'm doing. And, you know, when you answered um, the Thrive questionnaire, which is one of our features on mm-hmm. Thrive Global, one of your answers has been endlessly discussed by our community, and that is your answer to meetings. The fact that you said that you don't take meetings. Right. And whether it's in person unless or, you write me a big or check. on the phone, unless somebody writes you a big check. If so, you write me a big check, I'll show up <laughs> anywhere. I even might wear a suit. So um, when did you make that decision and what prompted it? Well, I made the decision after I could afford to make that decision <laughs> <laughs> when I was investing more than receiving. But um, I think I started using email. Well, let me take a step back. My very first company was a company called Microsolutions. And what segregated us and made us successful was, and this is in the early 80s, we were the very one of the very first companies to do um, local networks. So when people were just getting used to using PCs, we were connecting them together into networks. And part of that was um, enabling messaging systems so that you didn't have to pick up a phone, you didn't have to do a meeting. You could send a message on old school emails. Uh, so I, I was using and installing email or messages way back when. Then I got involved on CompuServe, and um, that's who we sold our company to. And 
you know, they didn't really have true email, but I was able to extend more globally. And you realize very quickly that, you know, the power of collaboration and the ability to work asynchronously is, is very powerful. You know, if, if I was working late, I could answer an email. I could, you know, it allowed me to be far more responsive. It allowed me to, you know, really dig into my thoughts on the topic. It allowed me to do research, you know, as opposed to being in a meeting where there's time constraints, there's social constraints, um, there's politics, you know, particularly in a company, you, everybody tends to take a role and they slide into it. And so it, it allowed me really to avoid those things and, and communicate with more people. And then it became a habit. And then I got to the point where I kind of had more leverage than the people <laughs> calling the meeting. And, and then it became very valuable to me. But how do you handle the overwhelming feeling that so many of us get from unanswered emails, <laughs> the kind of the inbox problem. I guess I go through too many, so many emails, I, I've kind of become immune to that. I mean, literally, I carry two phones, one Android, one Apple, so I have access to apps from both. And one's on AT&T and one's on T-Mobile, and I actually have a Verizon phone. With access, I'm always available. I can always communicate. And the way I structure things, I think, is a little bit different as well. If you work for me or if you're an investor or if I'm an investor in one of your companies, then I want to get weekly or biweekly or monthly reports, whatever we need. But it's always bad news first. Yes. It's never just give me all the, you know, the song and dance and we did this and we hired this person who's amazing. I assume you're going to do well. That's why I invested in you. I assume you're hiring amazing people. That's why you hired them. But where I can add value is by dealing with the problems. Mm -hmm. And so hit me with the bad news first. Let me try to help you in any way I can. And then, you know, I move on to the next one. And, you know, if I'm laying in bed watching a game, if if it's halftime of a Mavs game, that's when I'll do my emails because it allows me to disconnect from whatever other things that have my attention. And, and it actually works out really well. So I'm obsessed with boundaries uh -huh. to um, my relationship with phones, which means um, my boundaries, like 30 minutes before I go to sleep, mm -hmm. I turn off my phones and charge them outside the bedroom. Uh -huh. In a little phone bed. In fact, I brought you one as a little gift. I appreciate that. We have a charging station, which might be good for your kids, which yes. looks like a phone bed. And the idea is that it lives outside everybody's bedrooms. So mommy's phone and daddy's phone and the kids' phones all go there. It That's has room for idea. 10 ports. What's even better is we make, my thir we make our 13-year-old, Alexis, turn in her phone at 10 o'clock during weekdays and 11 o'clock on weekends. so that That's great. So you already have boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. Which is essential because now we're seeing the statistics that many teenagers sleep with their phones and then they're tempted to be on Snap or all texting or whatever long. all night and they wake up exhausted and we see... Exactly it. We it's see exactly. a real epidemic of mental health problems. Oh, it's, so it, it got so bad. So not only do we make her give her phone, but if she has a friend over who we can't necessarily take her phone, I have installed Cisco routers so that I have management <laughs> software. So it says what apps they're using so I can shut off their phone access wow. to the <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sneaky as can be. That's and she hates it. That, that's the downside of having a geeky dad, you know. I and and she knows like, that she knows um, what you're doing. Yeah, because particularly with Netflix, like literally, we first it was okay. You had to earn your hours of Netflix, and I changed the password, and so you've got um, two hours of Netflix for every hour that you read, and that worked out really well until one of her <laughs> friends gave her her password. <laughs> 
and then I got kind of got preempted, right? And so I caught on to that very quickly, obviously, and then I introduced this. So, you know, I try to stay one step ahead, and, and it's good for me, too, because it keeps me abreast of all the new apps and all the new technologies. That's fantastic. So that, now there is one reason why sleepovers at the Cuban householders are not as, are not not as, as popular <laughs> as, as, they used to be, right? as they used to be. And uh, any other boundaries for you, like any times when you say, I am not going to be on my phone? You know, I think entrepreneurs go through a process. When I was all in and I was starting companies, I would dream about work. And literally, I'd wake up and I'd have to do things. And you've been through that, right? Where it just consumes you. And I think entrepreneurs go through that process. Creative people go through that process. And as I kind of graduated to a different facet of my life, um, I, I really don't have a problem disconnecting because there's nothing that's so pressing, you know, so if I have something with my kids, not I, I'm not going to say 100% of the time, right. like if I'm missing a Mavs game, I'm checking the score. You know, my wife's getting mad at me. But like before I go to bed, I can put my phone there and not worry about having to pick it up in the middle of the night and just get a good night's sleep. So, so you're I, actually disciplined about not Yeah, watching. I'm pretty good. Like if I go mm-hmm. work out or play basketball, I won't have my phone with me. And I, I don't feel like, oh my goodness, I have to go check my phone every two minutes. If I'm sleeping six, seven hours and working out one hour, there, there's another 16 hours that right. I have access to my phone because I don't, I don't force myself to not carry it any other times. But what is interesting now is that even though rationally we know that, um, a Google ethicist, Tristan Harris, just uh, did a 60 Minutes piece where he talked about how there are thousands of engineers whose job is to hook us. Oh, yeah. So that it's a little bit like the slot machine Right. Well, psychology. they say when, when you get a text or you get an alert, it's like you get a shot of dopamine. Right. It's like drugs and people get addicted to it. And so, you know, particularly if there's something you're working on and you're waiting for an, you know, waiting for a response or you're dating somebody, you know, and and you want it, you're waiting for a text back. Or, you know, in my case, I'm watching my daughter's phone to see if she's getting a text from a boy. You know, (laughs) there's there's all kinds of little triggers that we have. And you're right. You have to learn to, to really manage yourself because you can drive yourself crazy. Well, that's really exactly what you described. They call the intermittent variable rewards, Mm -hmm. like with slot machines. So Mm -hmm. you never know when you're going to get the good hit. Right. But it keeps you coming back. And so I find it very interesting that you, who know so much about technology, you made uh, your first money in technology. And all my friends in the Valley who are in the middle of tech, they are much stricter with their kids. Yes. It's like they don't, it's like what they say, don't get high on your own supply. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. That's a great way to put it. No, you have to be, right? And the more you know about technology, the the more experiences you've had and the more exposure you've had to the, the pluses and minuses. And obviously, you know, once you see the downside, you try to protect your children from it. We don't always protect ourselves from it, but we certainly want to try to, you know, put our kids in a good position. But also we find how it gets in the way of our creativity. Yeah. Um, it's not sort of an accident that so many good ideas come in the shower, right? When we're disconnected. You know, I forgot. I, I had about an hour a day to, to non-phone time in the shower. I'm, I'm horrible. Going back to when I was a kid, my dad used to yell at me for like, what are you doing? And I just think he did. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So you literally have one hour showers? Not quite, but yeah, it, sometimes it seems like it. Yeah. You know, you shower in the morning, shower before you go to bed, right? Yeah, That's fantastic. Probably, probably 30 minutes in all. Well, actually, you know, um, 
a lot of the sleep science uh, recommends uh, showers or baths before you go to sleep mm-hmm. because it has that psychological feeling of uh, washing the washed. day away and uh, yeah, just calming you calming down, down yeah. and having like a clear demarcation line mm-hmm. because in our lives now you can never say I've done everything I could have done. Mm-hmm. So you need to declare an end to the day. You know, and, and I also have it's it's maybe a bad habit, but like I like to listen to things even though I'm not listening when I'm falling asleep. So I'll put on, I might have Law and Order on the television because it just knocks me out. It, you know, I, they probably don't like to hear that. But there's, And then what happens um, when if you wake up? Doesn't it wake you up at no, some point? No, because you, you can set the auto, it auto oh, turns so it, turns it off. It yeah, yeah. So anybody listening, do not take this advice from Mark <laughs> yeah, Cuban. No, okay? it's, you can it's take horrible. a lot of other advice, but it's not a, sleeping with your TV, TV on. on. No, it's a, it's a mistake. <laughs> it's just, you know. And Especially I think, if you don't have the feature that turns it right, off. Right, turn you off. don't know. How to you use it, which more I don't likely, know how yeah, to more use likely. it. But no, but it, it's just because I think it's an old habit that I just haven't gotten rid of where when my mind was racing so much and I needed to turn off and couldn't, it was a distraction. Right. You know, when, when I was thinking about work all the time, if there's something else on just that to distract. That occupy you. Yeah, that, that would occupy me. I would do it. And now it, it's a habit. And But you have it through um, headphones. Headphones, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise you would be divorced. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I was actually just having lunch with um, a girlfriend uh, who was telling me how they, she and her husband wake each other up, you know, through um, intermittent snoring. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I, I'm kind of an advocate for couples occasionally sleeping apart. I think it's very uh, European, maybe because I'm Greek. That people yeah. feel it's okay. It doesn't mean you don't love each other no, or you're not I'm, having sex. You know, sometimes. Well, you got to do what works for you. Yeah. I mean, I like to touch, feel my wife's skin, even just my leg bumping against her, right? That just kind of calms me and, down, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I can see that. And, you know, I travel enough that I probably get. I, if, if I didn't travel at all, I mean, she'd probably go crazy with me being there all the time right but, but because you you're I, on the road so right much. so if i'm on the road a couple of days you know every couple of weeks then that gives me a break to sleep and i take advantage of it because with a seven-year-old they're running in and you know <laughs> dad get up da, 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 da. and so it's 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 more of that than anything else so what's your number how many hours sleep um do you need to feel like the best Mark Cuban in the world. I'd say six is enough, is just enough, and eight's too much. So seven is yeah, seven, seven in, yeah, yeah, somewhere in there, and I'm fine. Yeah, so again, unless you have a genetic mutation, which right. about one and a half percent of the population has. Is that what it is? And, and no, a genetic mutation is three to four hours, and you're good. Yeah. But that's a tiny Michael percentage. Jordan. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan never had to sleep. It yeah. was I hate it. But that's a tiny percentage right, of the population. Right. The rest of us, seven to nine. So you have to find your magic number. Uh, yeah, there. I agree. And and once you know, and, and plus, I, I have no problem, particularly if I'm traveling, um, taking a nap. If I get a break or, you know, if I can schedule a break, I, I have... I'm good with taking a nap and, you know, if I need to catch up on my sleep on the weekend because there's something going on, I have no problem doing that. Right. I, I mean, yeah, I, I respect the sleep. <laughs> well, naps are good for Winston Churchill. Hey, if it was good he enough for Winston Churchill. He won the Second Churchill, World War, so he called them power naps. Yep. And I don't know if it gives me any special powers or power, but, you know, you and I have discussed it before. It, feeling confident, feeling rested, that makes me more effective. Exactly. You know, because once... It's like it's like a sport, you know. If you feel like the other person's faster, you know, if you feel like you're not quite ready, your game's not a hundred percent, you know, you know it. 
you know, and once you know it, then whoever you're working with figures it out very quickly as well, and you're at a disadvantage. And so I've always looked at, now, it didn't always work that way, you know, and, and there were times when you'd be, you're exhausted and there's things you have to get done and we've all pulled all nighters, but there, I'm always a lot better off and always a lot more successful when, when I'm feeling rested because you just, you, you just feel a lot more invincible. That's something very new, and you see it among athletes, right? Where mm -hmm. they're now prioritizing oh, yeah. sleep and uh, taking care of themselves in a way Without which question. is relatively new. The Dallas Mavericks have tried to do it for a while, where, you know, because everybody, we're all in our jobs creatures of habit to a certain extent. And if your body clock gets set a certain way when there are changes, you need to recognize you need to adapt. You know, so, you know, there's times when, you know, you have to be somewhere at 530 in the morning or, and your body's not going to be responsive to that unless you prepare for it. And it's hard to go to bed early. And so, you know, we at the Mavs, if we have a day game, we completely change everybody's schedule so that, you know, their body feels different mm -hmm. because otherwise it automatically falls into old habits, you know, and it has expectations. And so you have to adapt to your own circadian cycle. But, you, you know, knowing that there's going to be a change, we have programs that help their bodies adjust sooner rather than later. Because the last thing you need to be is lethargic when you're trying to play a professional yeah. basketball game. And of course, you're also helping them acquire better sleep habits and do you also teach them to meditate? Not meditation, because that, that gets to be too personal. Right. Right. So we do have um, team psychologists who is there full time that can work with them. And, and we kind of gear it towards what's it take to be a professional, right? How do you, how do you prepare your mind? How do you uh, prepare for the amount of work involved, prepare for the stress and the physical aspect of it? So we try to coach their minds and, and their ability to be prepared as much as we coach their skills. That's great. And are they all open to that? Or oh, do yeah. You, get, oh, you yeah. don't get any resistance? No, in early days we did because we were one of the first to try it. So how it. long ago? Oh, we're talking 2001. Wow, that was yeah. really early on. Yeah, so we, we had our first team psychologist in 2003, I think it was. And so we brought in 2001, one, right after I took over the team, we brought in nutritionists, we brought in someone to do sleep science um, and work on our circadian rhythms. And it becomes a checklist item, right? It becomes commonplace. Then it gets a lot easier. And as you know, since it's part of the professionalism program that we introduce with our players when they come to the team, you know, they know it going in and, the, and they plan for it. You now hear more and more players, you know, Kobe Bryant mm -hmm. and Andre Uguidola, who actually talk about it. Oh, yeah. And, uh, it's become a way to encourage others by realizing that there's a connection between well-being and performance. No question. I mean, Kobe obviously has, has an amazing platform, and Iggy is, is kind of a geek at heart, too, and is trying to do more. You know, one of the great things about the NBA is our athletes really use social media to help educate and innovate with their fans and to encourage their fans. And the things that they learn as part of their jobs, um, being able to convey that to their fans is, is a great thing. And so, you know, Kobe's done it for, for years now. Um, one of our guys, Harrison Barnes, is, is very big on, on sleep science and helping and resting and all those types of things. So he uses it himself. He's got his own program and he's shared it with others. So, it, Oh, we'd love to have him no, ride yeah, I'll, on I'll, I'll for Thrive. For yes, sure. we did um, um, a whole video series with Andre Uguidala. Uh -huh. In fact, what is interesting, you said that they encourage their fans to adopt better practices. But what I found is that they also... Um, 
validate these practices for business executives. Without question. Uh, we're at a um, conference once with Andrew Guidala, and he and I did a, a conversation on sleep, and he put up his stats mm-hmm. that showed the correlation between sleep and recharging and his numbers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had never seen a room of CEOs go so silent. Really? Because there was nothing more convincing to them than numbers. You know, this was not some kind of yoga journal yep. soft right, benefit. Right, this right, was right. hardcore. Right. No, and, you know, creating your own personal benchmarks is very important to me. So, you know, I've got um, the Fitbits and I've tried all the different fitness watches or whatever you want to call them to track my sleep. And so I've, I've actually used the Microsoft one a little bit more because I think it does a little bit of better job because I just wanted to get a sense of how much am I really sleeping. And because it tracks movement, it, it also lets you know when you're being restless and everything. And that's really hard to know. And so, you know, that's, that's been very valuable to me. And, you know, I get my blood tested every three to six months and everything, get blood labs. So, you know, over the years, I've been able to really create a benchmark for myself. And, and it's been important. It's helped me, you know, get into shape and, you know, between sleep, eating, workouts, work habits, you know, you get a sense of really what makes you feel good. And I, you know, I think that self-realization or self-actualization is going to be more and more important, you know, because the, the better you can understand yourself, the better you can be. Okay, we're now going to take a quick break to share a sleep tip brought to you by our sponsor, Sleep Number, because a good sleep routine is the foundation for thriving. Today's sleep tip is to read before bed, but something not on a screen and something that has nothing to do with work. Read a chapter from a classic novel, a poem, an article in a magazine, or something from a history book. Letting ourselves get drawn into a narrative helps us transition from our day-to-day projects and worries. In fact, studies have shown that reading for as few as six minutes releases stress and tension in our bodies. Thanks again to our friends at Sleep Number. Discover the Sleep Number bed with Sleep IQ technology at sleepnumber.com slash thrive. You are a sort of guru on Shark Tank and you teach a lot. You know, we're just talking about today with the producers. You know, we ask about numbers all the time. But when I look at the deals that I've done um, on Shark Tank, really the, the personal habits and the focus of the entrepreneurs, you know, I invested in them because they have a good business. Their ability to focus and execute is far more important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they all go hand in hand and, and we've got to do, I've got to do a better job of asking questions on the show about, you know, how do you take care of yourself? You know, how do you treat people? How do you work, right? What are the qualitative aspects of your, your business and personal life within reason, obviously, um, that allow me to make a better decision as an investor. And so, oh, no, that would be great. Yeah, and it could be great to see that also even with public companies. You know, a CEO who is perpetually run down isn't going to make the best decisions for shareholders. No, and you know what? It's funny because there, there's, there's that balance between privacy and trying to make the right investment. And, and you're going to have to share some of your questions with me because mm-hmm. I'll use them. <laughs> okay. I want every edge I can get. And, well, I'll, and you, I'm going to say, this comes from Ariana. <laughs> well, if you think of it, um, we have the data now that 75% of startups fail. Mm-hmm. In at China, least. where you and I were at this uh, forum oh. over the weekend, the number is 80%. So clearly, all these entrepreneurs were staying up all night 
and uh, burning the midnight oil all the time. I mean, we yep. all have to do it occasionally, right. thinking that that's the way to succeed. I'm making some bad decisions along the way. No question. Look, I can tell you from my first business that I wasn't as efficient as I could have been, and I probably could have gotten bigger and, and been more successful if I would have been a little bit more aware of, of the the impact I was having on my brain, body, and and soul, <laughs> you know, but you know, you, you go through the process and we are getting smarter and that's why, you know, what you're doing here with thrive and being on the podcast, we all learn. I come not to, to communicate. I come to learn. I come to get some of that Ariana <laughs> vibe. Well, it's interesting how we all learn from each other, yes. but one of the stories that I love that you tell is how, how you learned from an early boss um, you had a PC software firm. Right. Microsolutions. Uh, Micro That's yeah. right. That was that. And he, he was a kind of reverse mentor, which put right. you on a better path. So tell right. us the story. Oh, my goodness. So many stories with him. Um, so I had two bosses that I learned so much from because of how bad they were. <laughs> I started a company, Microsolutions. And right before that, I worked for a company, Your Business Software, where I sold software. Right. And I got fired. And I got fired because he wanted me to open up the store. It was a software retail store. I had to sweep the floor, make sure the windows were clean, make sure the store was open on time. And I had a big deal I wanted to close. And I thought, okay, I'm going to let Michael, his name was Michael, know that um, I've got everything taken care of. Someone's watching my shift, if you will. And I'm going to go pick up a $10,000 check. I figured when I came back, he'd be thrilled to death, right? Fired me on the spot. And you, know, and, and you think back and the things I learned from him prior to that, literally back then I was buying clothes from a, a used clothing store because they had used polos that they would redo. And my suits were two for $99 polyester <laughs> suits. You didn't have to dry clean them, right? You just ran through the rain a few times. And um, I remember him saying, you know, well, you need to dress up and this is where you can buy some nice suits. And if you wear glasses, but he, he was more interested in the show and he would never go on sales mm. calls. You know, and it was there I learned that sales cures all. There's never been a company that succeeded without sales. And, you know, just time after time again that the companies I worked for that didn't do well, um, they didn't focus on the, the results that mattered to the business. They focused on how well they looked or, you know, the show rather than the go. And, and I'm glad I learned those lessons early. And also it's great how much you learn from failures. Yes. I mean, I yeah. I, one of my favorite saying is, it doesn't matter how many times you fail, you just have to be right once. Then everybody can call you an overnight success. And, you know, I've, I've failed a company that sold powdered milk. I failed, you know, <laughs> the jobs I've gotten fired from. Um, it, you know, and, and all those were learning experiences. And, you know, and, and it goes to the heart of, you know, kids who are graduating today, you know, they, they ask about jobs and things they should do and everything. And I always like to tell them, you know, whatever, you don't have to get the perfect job. When you're 22, 23, 24, you know, there's, there's no such thing as failure. Whatever job you take, you're getting paid to learn. Mm -hmm. And you just spend however many years paying to go to school and you paid a lot of money, probably still owe money. Take that job. You're going to get paid to learn. And like, if it was like my experience where I learned what not to do and I was getting paid, it was still well worth it. And so, you know, and I also tell kids, I, I truly believe each and every one of us is really good at something, right? The hard part is finding out what that is and going through all the different, kissing all the frogs before you find the prince of the job, right? I think you have to try to and experience as many things as you can. And once you get there, you know, then try to be as good as you can at it because, you know, like I, I was never into technology in college. I mean, I took one computer class and cheated at it. And 
when I got one of my first jobs out of school using technology, I was like, wait, you know, I love this. I, I mean, I taught myself the program. You know, I, I could go seven hours, eight hours without taking a break, thinking it was 10 minutes because I was concentrating so hard and so excited and really loved it, you know, and that's when I realized that I, I, I could be really, really good at technology. And like to this day, um, you know, like at the conference, we were talking about artificial intelligence and, and deep learning and machine learning, and, and those are all brand new. And so I'm taking a, a class on my phone on Python, teaching my, updating my programming <laughs> skills. I'm reading... This, you know, machine learning for dummies. And I've got this other <laughs> course book that I'm taking because I have to learn, you know, and to me, lifelong learning is probably the greatest mm-hmm. skill. And I know you think the same way that you can ever have. But you read a lot generally, yeah. right? Yeah. So what are, is that what you're reading right now? That's are you exactly. reading anything for fun or that's what you're reading? That's for what fun? I read for fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, I get excited about it because the cool part about technology is we're here and then someone comes up with something new and then the the people who created it know it, but everybody else starts at the exact same spot. You know, whatever it is that's new, that's invented, unless it's yours, you're starting the same place. So if I just put in the effort, you know, I can learn it. And now with artificial intelligence and all its derivatives being so important and the more I understand it, the, the more excited I get about it. And, you know, the good news of having had the level of success I have is obvious, but the bad side is I kind of lost that piss and vinegar because I can think of 50 businesses I could start right now based on all this, but I don't want to give up time at home and, and all that. So that's kind of the trade-off. But also, you've always believed and talked about how the key to life is how wisely you use your time. Yeah. Yeah, it's the most valuable asset you have. Kind of, it's the only thing that's uh, that's not an infinitely exactly renewable resource. Yeah, you you can't buy it, you can't find it, you can't store it, you know, you can't trade it. Um, and, you know, I've always looked at it from the perspective that, you know, I gave up a lot personally early on to try to accomplish my goals, knowing that if I ever reached the level of success, even close to where I ended up, I was just going to have fun. You know, I, I tell the story about after selling my first company, buying a lifetime pass on American Airlines and retiring it at 30, basically, just so I could go party like a madman. Now, <laughs> you know, at 30, that was my goal. You know, my goal How long changed. did it last? Um, four years. Four years. That's quite long. Oh, uh, yeah. It was, it yeah. was fun. Yeah. <laughs> you were done at 34. No, it, but actually, <laughs> yeah, um, that's when we started um, AudioNet, which turned into broadcast.com because the internet, the whole, whole internet thing happened. And we saw the opportunity was streaming and no one was doing streaming at the time. And it, you know, it was one of those things where if we, if we did it right, we, it was going to be incredibly successful. We recognized that and, and it worked out. But once I sold broadcast, um, you know, I had the money and, and I was grateful for it, but what made me lucky was that I could spend time the way I wanted to and I could start working on relationships. I could start a family because that's when I could focus on it. I'm the old dad now, but having the time just to be able to, to enjoy my time, enjoy my time with my family, there's nothing more valuable. It's, it's the that, best reward. That's what concerns me about uh, the amount of time that's spent on social media. Um, or playing Candy Crush, or you know these things that you can start and and then you don't know how many hours pass. Not right. not 
as you described earlier, coding or right, doing right. something that could productive, lead to something yeah. productive, but just literally losing yourself. Well, you know, when you think about that, we talk. my wife and I talk about that with our kids. So on, on one hand, I try to analogize it to someone playing solitaire, right? Or, you know, the board games that we used to spend hours. I remember I'd play Yahtzee, right, just to kill time or teach myself piano or guitar, which seems effective, but... I didn't get anywhere with it. Ended up, but yeah. that's different, don't you think? Because well, that's I what think, I don't know. That's yeah, what I'm I think not sure it, I'll tell you why I think it's different, just based on the neuroscience mm-hmm. that I've read. Um, that it's it's a little bit like um, somebody described it like a, the bottomless bowl of soup. You know, when you keep <laughs> eating and you don't you don't know when you are satiated because more soup appears. Right, and it's the same repetitive. It's thing. It's the you're same not, repetitive you, you, thing, and you know now everything is programmed on autoplay. Right. You know, Netflix, YouTube. No, and, and I agree there. I mean, it's like, like I said, with my kids, you know, my son will watch Minecraft videos. Now, on one hand, getting better at Minecraft, which can be intellectually stimulating and, and a learning tool, is great. But watching these videos over and over and over again, we had to put time limits on it. And like we do with all of our kids, in order to do this, you have to earn it. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I paid my son $150 to not watch those videos for two months but he can earn, if you watch math videos or did math problems for me, he could earn time to watch Minecraft videos. Wow, it's really quite an operation being <laughs> your son. <laughs> it really is. The, you know, I, I've got, you know, it, it, sometimes it drives, drives them crazy, but it's like, you know. You should I, do a book about it. At least you can no, help other parents. I don't know if it's helpful or hurtful. I'm but sure it's very helpful. It's sort of, it really makes us aware. Of the fact that we've entered uh, unknown territory. Yeah, it's, it's new we territory. We don't really know, <laughs> you know how this is going to turn out. But I, I keep on telling them, you know, I just want to challenge them and, and try to get them to learn. But the hard part is getting them to read. Like, I love to read the newspaper. I saw my dad read the newspaper. You know, my mom read the newspaper. And it became a normal course of keeping up with things. You know, now my daughter tries to say, you know, Discovery on Snapchat is keeping up. And look, I'm on Snapchat. I get to see the Discover, right? It's not the same, you know, it's, it, it's okay way to keep up, but, um, you know, trying to get them to engage and, and learn more outside of school is a challenge. Now, it, it's that way for every 13-year-old, regardless of, of what decade you live in or were born in, but um, trying to push them in that direction, there's no easy solution. But I really believe that um, teenagers are looking for these messages. We just ne- need to find a way to give them to them that's not didactic and eat right. your broccoli. So we did actually a day on Discover, on Snapchat Discover uh-huh. called Recharge, uh-huh. which gave these messages of sleep, recharging, taking care of yourself. But we did it in a fun, sexy way. Uh-huh. The interest is there. And yeah, a lot of teenagers sleep- and college kids realize that there's something wrong when they're, they're waking up exhausted every yeah. morning. I mean, my 13-year-old, it's a constant battle. You know, get to bed, get to sleep, you know. And look, 13-year-olds 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 100 years ago had their own version of the same thing, talking on the phone all night and everything. But, um, you know, it's still for parents. It's a never-ending And fight. there weren't a thousand Facebook or Snap engineers at the other right, end of the phone the exact, trying to get you addicted. That's, that's, that's the, the difference. That's the big difference. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So I tried to find a way to bring in Donald Trump into a Thrive podcast. You Why know, not, It was right? a little hard, but I, here, here's my bridge. Here's my segue. Okay. Uh, this man doesn't sleep. No, he doesn't. <laughs> and it shows. And it shows. And he wakes up in the middle of the night and tweets things which... 
part of he must regret in the morning. I don't hope. think he does. I, don't, I really don't think he does. Well, maybe one day he will. But the bottom line is that clearly you see the impact on him, you know, visually as well as in terms of his actions. Yes, the AP interview. interview. That's the perfect example of what you're saying. Exactly. You know, where he can't complete a a sentence or he can't finish a thought or when he does veer off, he doesn't remember where he left off. I mean, that's the ultimate telltale So that's kind of the cautionary tale, right, for our children. Maybe we should... (laughs) Do I discover? Yeah, be day. careful. Don't sleep or you might be president. I don't know. It's going to be. I know. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a difficult message yeah. to put across. But tell us a little bit about your story with Trump. Oh, you know, <laughs> goodness, where to start? Um, it started probably 2004. I had a TV show on ABC called The Benefactor, which didn't do so well. When I first got picked for the show, Donald Trump reached out to me, and I didn't know him, and said, "Congratulations, I hope you do well." And then as the show went on, it was like he, he literally sent me a, um, a letter after the show got canceled saying, see, I knew it would be horrible. <laughs> I'm glad it's canceled. I'm like, okay. Um, what, no, I'm wrong. Okay. The first time I met him was even better. January 2000 Super Bowl, and he was having a party at Mar-a-Lago. And this was right after um, Broadcast.com had gone public, and it was the largest IPO first day jump in the history of the stock market. And so I was there with um, Jerry Yang from Yahoo, somebody from Visa, uh, executive vice president or somebody from Visa. And have you ever been to Mar-a-Lago? No, no. Okay, so it's beautiful. I'm not likely to be. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) it's actually beautiful. It was nice. I was impressed. But um, so you can see out to the water. There's a pool there. And there's a veranda up top where they have tables and people are eating. Now, at this party, he had all kinds of Hawaiian tropic models and sequin dresses. It was, it was a scene. Um, but he came up to us and didn't know who I was. But, you know, he was being a host and he was walking around introducing himself to everybody there. Hi, I'm Donald. Hi, I'm Mark. Hey, I'm Jerry. And he goes, Mark, it's nice to meet you. You know, someday you'll be able to sit up there with the rich people. Oh no! <laughs> and I've got people there who saw it, and and and, and so. But I, I just gave him a hard time. So when he connected with me afterwards, I started giving him a hard time about saying that. Then he invited me to his office after that, and we talked technology, which he didn't understand. So we got some other folks in there. But long story short, 2004 sent me that letter. Um, then 2007, he was working on an MMA um, promotion with the Russians. And with Access TV, we were doing and still doing a lot of MMA type um, programming. And so we broadcast that event for him. And so we got to know each other and we were friends again. And then fast forward again to the election. When he first came on the scene and announced, you know, I said I didn't agree with his positions, but, you know, he was refreshing. He was the best thing that happened to politics in a long time because he spoke his mind. He wasn't a Stepford candidate. He was very unfiltered. And I thought that was going to be very valuable. Um, kind of went in a different direction. But I said that, and he put that quote, and one of my quotes, on his book that he released. And so we were friends again. And so <laughs> he would call me. Um, I would email him information. Now with Donald, you know, you email one of his assistants. They print it out. He sees it. He writes on it a response. They scan it, and then they email it back to you. And so that was kind of the the efficiency factor there. But um, so we were friends for a while, and I also was not a fan of Ted Cruz. So I would tell him, you know, here's what I think. He would ask me some questions. We'd talk some about technology, or he'd ask me some things about technology. And we, we were going along fine, and I said, look, I, I don't – again, I continue to afford, tell him that I don't agree with his policies, but I think Ted Cruz would be even worse 
because Ted Cruz was kind of an ideologue, but he was also really, really smart. And he could probably figure out how to get a lot of things that I thought weren't positive done. And I told Donald that. So then, you know, and he would talk about how, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I've got the evangelicals helping me. I think this can happen and that can happen. And um, we'll see. But he, I don't think he really thought he was going to win. But then he got nominated, right? He made it through the the primaries and was the um, Republican nominee. And I said to him, at, at some time, Donald, you have to learn the issues. Well, it went downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, so and then I went on TV and said that, and I got an email from him saying, what happened? And I'm like, what happened is just what I told you. Mm-hmm. At some point, you have to learn the issues. And you know, and then I started talking to some folks that I knew that worked for Secretary Clinton, and it wasn't that I agreed with a lot of her policies. There was, I mean, I'm an independent. There's a lot of things, particularly on the economic side, that I didn't agree with at all, but I, she's smart. You know, and so when I told Donald that as well, it didn't that work was out. It. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, but uh, you know, there's still hope. Look, I is he doing a good job? I think economically, there's still things I agree with. I mean, you know, within reason, lower taxes. You know, um, reducing bureaucracy, I think, is a good point. Making trying to make the government more efficient. You know, the things he's doing with the FTC on licensing, in particular, where like in the state of Louisiana, you have to you know, wash hair for. 60 hours or something ridiculous before you're allowed to get a job as a shampooer, which is crazy stuff, right? So his FTC is is working to get rid of that. So on the economic side, it's great. You know, on the military side, on on the social issue side, it's it's it hasn't been so great, you know. But what is interesting is that last May, Chris Eliza of the Washington Post wrote a piece with the headline, Why Mark Cuban for President Makes a Lot of Sense. And then in February, at, at an NBA All-Star Celebrity <laughs> Game, you are a jersey with a certain number on it, the number 46. I have to say, though, that wasn't my idea, but it was such a good idea. I glommed onto it. Just in case you decide to run. Uh-huh. Can we talk about it? Oh, yeah. If I ever decide, yeah, we, we, I'll talk to everybody about it. Trust me. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, because we'd like to be and, and, a podcast on which you come to talk about it and talk about how you can run without um, driving yourself into the ground and yeah. making bad decisions and tweeting stupid things. Yeah, trust me, that, that would not be me. I'm not oblivious to life like some people. <laughs> Well, Mark, thank you so much for being here. That was really great. Thank you for being our guest. And thank you for all you're doing and all the knowledge and wisdom you're spreading. Same to you. Thank you. So for everyone listening, be sure to subscribe to the Thrive Global Podcast with iHeartRadio or in your favorite podcast app. And stay tuned to thriveglobal.com and iHeartRadio. We want to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at thriveglobal.com or reach out on social media using the hashtag thrivepodcast and tell us who you'd like to hear from and what are your favorite life hacks. Until next time, be well and thrive. The Thrive Global Podcast is brought to you by Sleep Number. With a sleep number bed, you can adjust the bed on each side so both you and your partner can experience your best sleep. And with Sleep IQ technology, you'll know how you slept. Does your bed do that? Check out the beds at sleepnumber.com thrive. And of course, don't forget to turn off your devices before you tuck in. Audiation.
At CarMax, we're pretty flexible with how you can buy a car. If you'd rather scroll through 50,000 cars instead of walking the lot, go for it. If you want to see how a car smells on the lot before you buy it, by all means. Hey, we all have our things. Want the whole thing to come to you without ever leaving home? Buy online. Compare how the speakers sound when playing your favorite mix? Yep, visit our lot. And if you want to browse a little on the lot and in select markets have it delivered at home, we're certainly not stopping you. CarMax, the way it should be. For all you foodies out there, I'm unwrapping a McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel. Ooh, look at this steak. And the juice running down the side. Got a little bit on the wrapper here. Mmm. And then the fluffy egg and real cheese folded over the side looking just so good. Mmm. Mmm. Grilled onions and a butter bagel, too. Thumbs up for McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel for breakfast. Love it. Mmm. Ba-ba-ba-ba. I participate in McDonald's.